You are listening to the Antler VC Cast. We are your hosts. I am Yusti Salavara and I'm the co-founder and managing partner of Antler. I am Pooja Barwani, the marketing director of Antler. In this series, we feature stories of exceptional people who are playing a key role in building and shaping the next wave of tech and the way it is integrated into all we do. We take a look at the transformation that is taking place in an increasingly global and digital world. We will talk about innovation, building and scaling startups, mistakes they made, pivots they navigated through and lots more. We want to know their story, how they did it, the challenges they faced and how they overcame them. Stay tuned. Today we have with us Handy Chillinger, the founder and CEO of Insider, a growth management platform that lets digital marketers connect customer data across multiple channels and systems. Insider also uses AI to process that data collected from customers and predict future customer behavior to help companies reach the right customers. They recently raised a Series C round of $32 million from Riverwood Capital, Sequoia India and Wamda. Welcome to the show Handy and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much also for this intro and thank you very much for inviting me. Hopefully this post- podcast will be uh, useful for entrepreneurs and the ecosystems of Asia and maybe the whole world. Thank you. So let's start by you explaining to the audience about your insider platform. It's evolved a, a lot since you first started in 2012. So tell us in your own words, you know, what is Insider and and what is the offering? Since the last 10 or 15 years, e-commerce continues to grow and especially I think the last years, the times of COVID has accelerated this growth of the online shopping or online businesses. And when we look at the last, again, 10 to 15 years, the biggest challenge of the e-commerce companies or any online companies who provide servers or content or, uh, let's say, products, service from online is the growth. When we look at the e-commerce and its success metrics, it's not like a, a single metric game. It's a multi-metric game and you need to optimize your metrics, your or let's say different metrics. And this is actually how our, where Insider comes in. We are a growth management platform and we help enterprise marketing teams to unlock growth across the, the funnel through acquisition of their users, activations of the users, retention and increasing the revenue. How we do that, we actually deliver personalized experiences across different channels of online, including desktop, web, mobile web, mobile app, and messaging sites. And what we are doing is, as a growth management platform, we combine personalization with insight and artificial intelligence and machine learning technologies with a predictive engine at its heart. Nice. Congratulations on the journey so far, Hande. I know you probably feel you're still at the beginning and, you know, world domination is on its way. But if we go back to the beginning a bit bit further still, like how did you identify this problem, that this is a problem you want to um, start creating a solution for? Okay. That's a bit long story, but I'm going to shorten that for this podcast uh, since we have limited time, of course. Well, I'm one ex-entrepreneur. 
We have six co-founders, and one of those six one of those six co-founders was also uh, was my partner in our previous business that we sold together. And after selling this business, we always knew that we want to be in the digital sector. We would like to do something about technology because, as the CEO of the Forrester says, said once, one day every company will be a software company. So this is why we always knew that we want to do something in technology or in the digital side. The first idea that uh, came to our mind was building an e-commerce company because e-commerce was growing. There's a lot of potential there. But after talking to a couple of, couple of e-commerce companies and the founders and CEOs, we just realized that actually it's a high potential, of course, business, but at the same time, there are a lot of operations and yes, you use technology, but not very advanced technologies and you have many other pains other than utilizing the technology. So this is why we decided to be a, we decided to be a painkiller for the pains of the e-commerce companies because we have seen that they have many. And conversion optimization was one of them because the challenge about uh, the e-commerce companies are all about the optimization of their co- uh, conversion rates and they spend lots of money for advertisement. They manage to bring the users to their website or mobile app or the other channels, but the challenge was actually not being able to convert them. So this is why after talking to them, we have decided that we should create a platform which is going to optimize their conversions. And this is actually where the idea came up. And we look at the region, our region, uh, Asia especially, uh, including Middle East and even some part of Europe. And we look at all of the successful marketing software companies or digital companies. And unfortunately, we have realized one more time there are not many companies who raised from the east part of the world, although sun rises from the east part of the world, and became global. So uh, the romantic reason that this idea came up was showing whole world that breakthrough product companies can be also created outside of Silicon Valley. And this is the sentimental and romantic reason why we have started inside in the very first place. So the why, so so I love what you said about you're, you're looking at your company as a painkiller versus let's say a vitamin, which is something that we use an analogy for. And this whole global, you know, you, you're now in 24 countries. Can you tell us who your clients are? And was and this global mindset seems to be in the why from day one, from what you just said? Exactly. That's a very right point, Pooja. If you would like to build a global product company and if you would like to do it from the east part of the world and become global, then you should have the global mentality from the very, very first day. And this mentality is so important because it also uh, defines who you hire. It defines what language you are going to, which language you are going to use when you are building your first website. It defines your first product. It defines your first go-to-market strategy. So this is why having this global mentality from day one is so, so important. And uh, second thing is, after having this global mentality, we first again started from Asia, which is a high potential market. And our customers, we decided to choose our customers of course, based on the verticals. And there are some companies that, or they say there are some verticals we have focused and then which became actually very optimum partners for insiders. Those verticals are generally, of course, pure e-commerce players, publishers, 
banking and financial financial side as well as the travel and airline airline companies so those are the four main verticals that we are focusing at the moment since the uh, since the first day and if you ask me the brands or let's say global brands that we are working currently we are working with the fortune 500 companies for example carrefour samsung pfizer unilever lg are some of the clients that we work in several regions, including Korea. For example, Samsung is our partner, let's say, client, because we don't like to call our clients or partners clients because we are really partnering during their digital marketing journey. And we have also, we are working with regional giants like Watson's, uh, DG, Telcom Cell. And uh, from the e-commerce side, especially in Europe, we are pretty much strong in online retail. We are working with Max and Spencer in UK, Decathlon in UK, Puma and Gap in various countries in Europe, and as well as the media companies like Forbes, Newsweek, and Fox. And those are the some verticals that we are pretty strong. But the good thing about doing per- conversion optimization is that every vertical or let's say every online business, and it doesn't have to be an e-commerce company or it doesn't have to be a like, you know, a company doing only sales from its its platforms, it can be a content website, it can be a you know automotive company who is trying to lead generate generate leads through their channels, they can be our clients. So for example, I remember one of the latest clients that we have acquired from Poland was a petroleum company. So we are pretty much also strong in automotive and some of the other verticals. So any company who would like to optimize their conversions via creating leads, via increasing their page views, via increasing their sales, can be a partner or, in other words, client for insiders. Mm. That's, that's a big pool of people. Yeah. 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 But I, I think it's, it's fascinating. I think you're spot on with this like uh, born global mindset. Everything doesn't need to come from Silicon Valley. Uh, actually, a lot of analogies I can see between Antler and Insider, like, you know, despite us doing something completely different, but, you know, starting in, in Asia, going global, we started out in Singapore. You have six co-founders. I wanted to ask you about that. So we have five co-founders at Antler and sometimes it feels like uh, that's uh, too many and messy but to manage. But how did, how did your like early journey go? Decision making, like any founder drama, you know? How was that to manage the, the six of you? If you can share anything. Uh. <laughs> of course, of course. I, I, I have many things to say, but those are, those are very short things because the answer is quite straightforward. But before giving that answer, I would like to have a confession to you guys. In this call, I have recognized that. And thank you very much for helping me to discover that. I have always to types of answers to many to each questions first of all the sentimental and romantic part and second part is the factual part so if you ask me uh, how it feel like how it feels to have six co-founders i'm going to first again a a romantic answer and a factual answer the factual answer is first of all that's that that's great in terms of role and job distribution and definition because for a b2b sales company it's very important to have your VPs after five or $10 million of ARR. And this is a threshold inside of the past. So this is why having your VPs ready as your co-founders who are pretty much dedicated 
after this threshold was very important and it's such a big advantage for insider. And the good thing is we, we are like Beatles. Um, of course, we are not as talented as Beatles, but just like the Beatles model, we, I think, complete each other. Three of us from technical background, three of us from business background. And this is why actually uh, one of our co-founders is our VP of product. The other one is the CTO. The other one is responsible for the customer success. The other partner that we sold my, uh, that I sold my previous business together is responsible from the growth. So when I look at this harmony, I would say that we complete each other from this perspective. It's great. So this was the factual. But even Beatles had Ringo Starr. So, you know, not, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And when we look at the sentimental and romantic part, I would say two things about this. First of all, I think being a CEO or being a co-founder is all about managing your own psychology. Because product might, product might evolve. Uh, go-to-market strategies can, might, may evolve. So you can adjust your strategies based on the challenges of the markets. And you can always find the right answers in, in the technology game if you just focus on that. So I believe that those are difficult, but at the same time, easy things. But managing your own psychology, that you, you, that you need the, the power you need at the time of, at the difficult times or when you face the challenges is the most critical part. And, you know, we are doing something with, something with the human kinds and it's, it's all about people, I believe. And it affects your also psychology most of the time in a negative way. So when I take into all, uh, account all of those things, it's really difficult to manage your psychology as a CEO and founder. Uh, and if you have six co-founders or, I mean, by the way, we have six total, including me. So let's say when you have five co-founders uh, accept you, then they, it helps you to manage your own psychology because if one of you, one of you guys psychologically damaged or fails for a while, then the other pushes and when you are down, the others are up. So you balance each other. And the second thing is, uh, when you share the same values in life and when you are motivated and inspired by the common values, then I think, and if you don't have any conflict about ego, power, and money, then you really stand well together as founders. Uh, I think we share the same values in life because we would like to show the whole, whole world that we can also create that kind of global product company and we can also beat our competitors from Silicon Valley or from US. And we have the same inspiration. So this is why, although we have a lot of ideas, conflicts, which is very normal, by the way, because of those shared values, I think we stand well together, even after eight years that we have already faced many things, uh, many challenges together. We would like to do business all together until the end of our lives, which is, which is something very rare, I think. That's a big, that's a big thing, too. <laughs> wow, that, that's sweet, that's sweet. But how, like, that's, that is quite inspirational, actually, and, and, you know, something for people to aspire to. I wanted to, and this might be helpful for, like, founders out there, but how did you think about decision-making and, you know, driving the company to the, the same direction, because I would imagine that that might be an area where, you know, it's not really the more the merrier. It's more like more potential like conflicts or, or different opinions and so forth. I would count two methodologies for that. First of all, defining the direction and the big hairy goal of the company. We use OKRs for that. So everyone is pretty much aligned on the strategy and the, what is the big hairy goal through OKRs. 
and everyone defines their objectives of their departments and PRs accordingly. Second thing is roles, roles and jobs definitions. Uh, in a decision making, it will it will be very helpful to optimize those processes by clearly written down roles and responsibilities. Who will be the last? Uh, who will make the last decision for a specific issue when they need approval? When they do not need any approval? So this is something very important to define and write it uh, write it down. And the and the last thing is, I think, uh, strategy that many companies should take into account in order to make the decision-making processes much more faster and efficient. Disagree and commit. There won't be many times that six co-founders cannot make the, cannot uh, agree on the same decision. We have all their own different personalities and ideas, but it should be very clear that who is going to say the last word for, for a specific case for different, let's say, uh, decisions so once they, someone do that, then the others, although they do, not, they do not agree with that, they should commit and they should do their best to you know, accomplish or let's say make it, this decision and make it happen and for the execution. If you, I think, apply those three principles, then I think you should be doing fine. Hi, my name is Heath Jamison, co-founder of Antla Education. Antler Education is a global unit of Antler, sharing our venture building playbook with the community. Our first project is the Antler Launch Academy, an open access education platform with masterclasses from Antler's venture builders, investors, and portfolio company founders, all put together alongside an active and helpful community of learners. The Antler Launch Academy exists to help a few people. Firstly, career transitioners, looking to help people shift to the technology and startup sector. Secondly, idea generators, seeking to conceive of a startup idea. And thirdly, builders, looking to take big leaps forward and understand what investors like Antler look for in opportunities, with quite a number of Antler Launch Academy students flowing into our core programs. We created the Antler Launch Academy because as an organization, we have so much energy and guidance we wish to share with the broader community but have been unable to do so via our invite-only programs around the world. Now and into the future, we aspire to support hundreds of thousands of energized people by helping activate entrepreneurial endeavors and build boldly. I think this actually leads into something I did want to ask you about because you talked about the psychology of you know being a CEO and clearly the value system is very much part of your leadership style and you as you know a young female CEO that has built a global company what would you say your leadership style or philosophy is and how has it evolved I don't want to sound clueless to the audience but I don't know my style I just I just have my methodologies maybe if you are going to ask someone that I'm working directly, they can tell more about my style, but I don't, I don't have a specific style and I don't, I'm not trying to create a specific style, but I have my own methodologies. There are many things that I am taking into account while trying to lead in leading the people. But what I'm trying to do is basically leadership is an endless journey. And when we take into account that it's all about people, Leadership is mostly about, I think, giving this comfort 
to people to make their own decisions. And if you find the right people, the A players or candidates of A players, then actually, uh, then you train them. When you, sh- when you are sharing the same values in life, then I think they, they are going to fly and then you will follow. Uh, when, most of the articles I know, they say that leaders, uh, they, they, there are leaders and there are followers. Of course, the, 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 the people are sh- uh, le- following you and they are, trying, they are trying to understand the mission and they made to make themselves the part of it. But at the end of today, once you, you hire the players, once you give their own playground, then you start to follow them because they become better than you in some specific areas. This is the first thing. Second thing is, I think most of the founders and leaders and management team in the startup or scale-up companies should be very careful about one specific thing. Our companies are growing. And if we cannot grow as fast as our companies, then the company is going to also destroy us personally. If I'm not going to be a CEO who can grow as fa- who can who cannot grow herself as fast as insiders growth rate i think the company is going to also eliminate me it's like like a natural selection really so you be to it's be like, relevant you have to be relevant as, as exactly it's like a survival of the fittest you should be fit with the in your growth with the fit or with the growth rate of the company in order to do so, you need to read a lot. You need to learn from the other CEOs who has been in the, in the same journeys or similar journeys before. You need to learn from your investors. You need to leave from your uh, mentors. But the most important thing is the best way to learn is reading and also learning from the others who has been in, in the same journey before. Why I'm saying this, of course, are, I look at the investors, for example, Sequoia is one of the investors of Insider. And I look at the Singapore team and the Singapore team also introduced us to the US team and I'm working closely with both of the countries. I know legendary names like Pat Grady, Doug Leone. I, I'm working with Peter Camps, Rohit Agarwal from, from Singapore and they are great people. But to be honest, at the end of the day, they haven't been also entrepreneurs before. So learning from the other CEOs who has faced the same challenges in the past is I think the most or let's say best way of learning. So uh, those are the things that I define my leadership style and this is how I'm trying to lead. But you know what? I think leadership is pretty much relevant with uh, the feeling of, or let's say feeling yourself uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable most of the time about the outputs. I'm uncomfortable about my personal development. I'm uncomfortable or let's say not satisfied with my own speed. So I think the feeling of, the feeling of this, I'm not enough. I need to develop myself more. I need to grow myself more is a healthy feeling at the end of today because it pushes you to develop yourself more. So I try to read more, learn more from the others. Right. So I'm comfortable, but freaking loving it, right? Yeah, that's like addiction. That's like addiction. It's like a caffeine. It's like a caffeine. You said something, I, I read, maybe it was one of the funding announcements or something, but you just said, talked about how anything is possible with a you know, passionate team of uh, overachievers or something like that, like just paraphrasing in how I understood it. And that's how it is. And, and I think you can learn from many different ways, many different places. Like I actually uh, judged the startup pitch battle yesterday with Peter, a uh, great guy and you know him, know him well and some of the uh, other guys in, in Singapore. 
and you can learn certain aspects from them super well and then there's other things you learn from other founders and reading is fantastic so anyone out there who's, who's thinking you know I'll, I'll i'll start a startup and then the first couple of years are super tough and then it's going to be smooth sailing from there like think again i think this uncomfortable with loving it is the type of this is what you need to have as a bit of a personal trait almost to succeed yeah, just say one of the one of our existing investors previously said, "Learning is like a never-ending story because you learn, you read, you learn a bit more, and then you actually then have a have a much more appetite to learn more, and then when you feel like you are you are you are growing, then." You would like to discover more. So this uh, is an endless journey. It's good, by the way. It keeps you dynamic. Especially our sector, being in technology, being in digital, is something already keeps you energetic because the game is changing so fast. Today's, actually, tomorrow nothing looks like, it will not look like today, really. So it already keeps you energetic. But at the same time, you become addicted to discover or learn something because if you dig more than you will learn more and then it will push you to dig more and more. This is what I think. You always learning, you always learning. And you said you're uncomfortable, but loving it. Do you ever reach burnout stage? And if you do, how do you handle that stress or pressure? That's a good question. I would, I would like to divide this question into two. The first one will be about burnout. The second one, the second part will be about the how to keep yourself still inspired or prevent, prevent this situation. So burnout, I think burnout pretty much related to motivation. And the interesting thing about the founders are we don't need motivation. Motivation is temporary. And people who are inspired inspired with a specific aim doesn't need any motivation because motivation uh, is not like a consideration for us. We are not motivated. By the way, our mood might also change. One day you wake up and then you feel like, you know, you are super energetic. The other day, a little bit more moody. The other day, sad. But those, those are the feelings which are temporary. So uh, when, you are not, when you don't have any issue about motivation, I don't think that you are going to have a risk of burnout because when you are inspired by something like a, like a very, very romantic common cause that you would like to realize with the old people around you, then you, there, is no, there is not many chances to come to the stage of the burnout. If there will be some founders around who has faced this burnout, I think they should be they should they probably doesn't have any very strong cause for existence or for the existence of their company this is what i think maybe i'm mistaken but this is what i think mm. it, it, it's kind of like if, if i may chip in it's i at least feel like it's how can you burn out when you're never working right in a way that's how i see it personally like is it's it's not a job. You're not working. So, it's like a, it's you know. like a love of love of your father. It's like a love to your children or your suppose or your anyone. It's it's endless because we have a love. We have a specific love to a common cause. So how, I don't see it as a job. So how I can feel burned out? But of course there will be some stages or period of time that I feel more exhausted, more tired, or let's say less 
motivated. But again, motivation doesn't bring a founder to a burnout level. Motivation is about some specific cases during the, that you face during the day. You have lost one of your important employees and you might feel a little bit demotivated. Maybe you have lost a very important deal. Then you become sad. But it's temporary. And you should face it. If you would like to set for a couple of days, you should confront it to, your, to the people around you because organizations need super energetic leaders. A leader should be always super energetic. If you are, if because of, if because of a special reason that's related to your private life or related to say something else, you should confront it to your team. Okay, team, we lost this deal. I don't feel well. You are going to see that in the upcoming two, two or three days, I might be a little bit, uh, you know, less energetic or sad, but it's because of this. And face it, embrace it, leave it, and then you will be back. Uh, you will be back to your, let's say, energetic mode. Conf- being a confrontational leader is so important for a leader. It's, it's actually, to me, I learned that 95% of the leadership is all about confrontation. You need to confront your strategy. You need to confront your the, the weaknesses, strengths. You need to confront whether things you do, you do well or you do not do well to your investors, etc. So once you confront the people around you, I think it's okay to feel moody or tired or exhausted sometimes, but you will recover. This is, this is also how life works, right? You work, you become tired, you have a rest, and then you wake up again, and then you are inspired, and then you just uh, roll up. Yeah, that's all. So what I'm hearing is basically you've got passion, motivation, and you have a clear mission, and that's what keeps driving you, but you also have a very honest approach when you say confrontation in terms of like you, you are very open about mistakes or things that went wrong and you share that. So that, that would, uh, if I'm just saying that would, that would be your leadership philosophy. <laughs> I think it's it, it, <laughs> it, right. It right. It sounds right. Yes, definitely. Thank you very much for the interpretation. Puja. I am going to use that to define my leadership style from now on. It helps. Thank you. Okay. No, I, I'm just fascinated. I had to ask that because, you know, you're a, a female founder and they're already, women are, there's such a small group of you in, in the tech ecosystem. And one of the reasons, you know, is they say that, you know, women have to wear so many hats and, and you have to devote yourself 250% if you're doing a startup and, you know, race with it if you want to succeed. And that, I mean, the world has changed. People can do a lot more things, you know, infrastructure is there. But, you know, what what message would you give to to women who are on the fence about this or, you know, you and you yourself have built this amazing culture of uh, inclusivity in your company. You have a lot of women working for you, you know, how do you manage and have you, have you, have you met women who are like, you know, I don't know whether I can give, give it my all. I mean, a lot of women do get turned away from, from tech and startup because of this, this, like it's, it's, it's this race and, you know, you have to build and scale rapidly. So there's a lot of pressure. First of all, I feel really surprised of that. Even it's the year of 2020, we have already passed the millennium and we are in a new era. We are still talking about the diversity and the differences between women, men, advantages, disadvantages. We are all the same. We are human at the end of the day. So it's already very, I think, irritating for me to talk about those because I don't see any difference mentally. Physically, yes, but it's normal. Every, every 
all of us are have different physical uh, you know conditions and you know capabilities anyways but mentally or let's say in terms of the capacity i don't see any difference this is the very first and obvious thing i think there's a i think there's a difference i think like the strongest women i've seen are mentally so much stronger than the strongest men i've seen i'm serious by the way it's, yeah, yeah, it's very yeah i was i was i was coming to the that point so the first part 2020 is still talking about those. I think it's a shame for all the societies. Uh, second thing is, we unfortunately as women we have disadvantages, unfortunately. But these these disadvantages are not about the capacity or IQs or capabilities of the women. It's all about the norms that societies has created so far because of the because of our cultures in different countries there are still some countries for example who sees women in a different status and from the very beginning also there are some countries or the the cultures women has been positioned as a you know uh, human who after his after actually she born maybe of course she will go to primary school university but she is born or let's say she is trained or let's say she's maybe already put a pressure to be to find some man get married give a children or let's say uh, give a birth to a children that's right of course but the positioning itself is wrong from the very beginning and unfortunately because of this position women have actually women put themselves in that kind of role where we actually prevent ourselves to develop ourselves in the different areas. It's like a computer. When you teach this, when you could do this coding or put this snippet of code to, to our uh, mentalities or brains, then we are more, more focused on that. I think people should, women should, should change this mentality and break this mentality, actually. But in order to do so, And this is a disadvantage that I'm talking about. In order to do so, unfortunately, we need to work a little bit more. We need to develop ourselves a little bit more. In terms of our vision, we have lots of things that we need to compensate compared to also uh, men because they have been in business life for a very long time in very important positions. But women are trying to get some important positions or roles Very recently, in the last five, ten, or fifteen years, in politics, in organizations, in societies, in NGOs, etc. So this is why, as a woman, in order to close this gap, we need to expand our vision. We need to be fearless. There is nothing that we can't do that other, other, let's say, or band can do. And as actually Juicy said. I don't think that when we count into account all the positive sides and negative sides of being a woman or a man, I think there is there is no winner. But when we look at the positive sides of the woman, we can say that one of them is this strong, strong mentality and you know being strong human creatures because of maybe our again nature of fighting against many things in life. So this is why this is why I think. In terms of their senses and mentality of being strong, uh, women might have a little bit more advantage. But of course, comparison is one of the most threatening feelings in a human life. You shouldn't compare yourself with anyone, with any other company, with any other competitor, etc., because it's risky. You might feel yourself bad, and maybe you cannot act. 
but I don't want to compare men and women. We are all same. But at the end of today, we should be doing more and more to close this gap. This is what I think about being a woman. And this is my naive advice to other women founders. Yeah, uh, I think that's, that's very inspirational. And I think every listener should think about that and how they can you know, reflect that overall sentiment in their daily lives. I think, especially in Asia, there's a lot of work to be done in that topic, other parts of the world as well. Exactly. Because I remember I had been in one of the conferences in Indonesia for a woman. It was organized by Sequoia. And I was very surprised to see that how much those women need help. So we need to do more, I think. Yeah. And like you say, it's a, it's a mindset issue. And at the end of the day, it's our mind that we have to overcome. At that you know, So I think that's great advice and very inspirational. And do you have this? I read somewhere that you're supporting young, young programmers, especially female young programmers. And I thought that is sort of a superb way to you know, have a bring about the culture change as well. Do you want to say something about that, uh, what it's about and so forth? Of course, we should definitely support the, you know, support women to have more places, more roles in the tech side or in the organizations, in the startups. But I think supporting women engineers to take huge responsibilities in startups or tech companies is much more critical because of two reasons. First, I think anyone in life, especially if you are, if you are, okay, you know, in your early days of life, primary school, or if you are still a kid, if you have kids, you should teach them coding. Maybe they're not going to be a programmer, which is okay. But I think coding helps children or even people in university and also to us to develop our skills in the in creating algorithms, analytical skills, etc. So I think, first of all, anyone should learn coding. This is the first thing. And if you would like to empower women in the business life more and more, then this, is, this will be pretty much possible also empowering the women engineers to take some place in the tech companies. And this is what we are trying to do. We have a special programs for that, one plus one plus one. And we dedicate 1% of our revenues, 1% of our salaries, and 1% of our times to teach coding to high school students, especially uh, women. Uh, so this empowerment, I see this empowerment much more important and stronger than the also other things that we do for the women. Of course, they are all very important, any effort. But I think if we help them to be part of the technology sector more, then they will be rising much more faster. The women will be rising much more faster in that case. Absolutely. I think it's an amazing initiative. And, and I especially like that you help place them after that into companies that's that's the, the the loop needs to be closed you know so exactly it doesn't have to be for insider we are not doing this for for insider entrepreneurs doesn't actually that's connected with the profits and money and me with the other stuff unfortunately maybe as investors you will not also like that but for example as a ceo i'm still i'm still very primitive about the, about the numbers because i know the number my numbers of course and i know the progress and i know i think about strategies with my team how we should improve them but at the end of the day if you are an entrepreneur 
95% you don't do the things for yourself or only for the sake of your organization. You do, do the things for the impact. You do the things for the communities. You do the things for your countries. You do the things for the societies. So this is why uh, we do it for women to empower them, to make them part of a technology. So we help them to place, yeah, we place them not only to insiders, any other company after graduation, And this is why I have invited the, this one plus one plus one initiative uh, for one, for this initiative to many other companies, so they can also contribute in that, and then we can grow more women engineers. I will I will want to find out more about that and see how Antle can get involved <laughs> after this. So you know what? Very interesting. When I was telling this and saying matching my last sentences, I was thinking that what about also giving a start in Singapore because we have given a start in five different countries, including Indonesia, but not yet in Singapore. And you know what? I was thinking that whether Antler, maybe I can ask after this podcast, I can ask Antler to be part of it. I was exactly thinking that. Thank you, Pujar. Yeah, sure. I mean, and we're, we're in 14 locations globally already. So I think there, like, if you're thinking of taking this international, let's, let's talk about it. And I'm going to have one more offering for you, but let's talk about it after the podcast. <laughs> sure. I don't want to Deal. make it public. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Sounds good. So let's let's get into rapid fire. And before we, I'm just curious to know before we push again, what are you currently reading? Okay, that's a, that's a good question. You know what? I like to read, especially again the books from the entrepreneurs who has been in this journey before, because you feel like. They understand me or they talk about things which are quite relevant because they have been in this journey before. So currently, I'm reading one of the books of Ben Horowitz. Also, it's very close when I'm actually, when we are recording this podcast, High Growth Handbook. So this is, this is like the thing that I'm reading nowadays. It actually, the good thing about this is It combines many stories from different companies. So I would definitely suggest that book, High Growth Handbook. That's what I'm reading at the moment. All right. I have it. Yeah. <laughs> so next one, let's get rolling. You see, you want to start with the first one? Sure, absolutely. Hande, who's your biggest mentor or role model? I don't want to sound arrogant, but I don't have any because... As a total, I don't see anyone as my role model, but I know that there are many people out there that I take their best parts. I take their best parts as an example. So I have like, you know, maybe, I don't know, hundreds of people or two hundreds of people that I know. And I think, I think there are some parts of them which are pretty much powerful. I try to take the best parts of, from everyone. I don't have a one role model that I think that he's, totally perfect and uh, he's inspiring me every different aspects of different people inspires me actually nice and would you say do you have a, a a big regret in life and if you had what would what would it be being able to create more resources for a global expansion much more earlier from the very first day again we, we have this global mentality but our growth model is pretty much replicable And if we have, for example, this year we are, we are expanding to US, but, and last year we have extended to Europe, which is going very well. But if we had chances to expand much more earlier to US, to Europe, I think we, have, we would have been reached our target of being the most advanced and most global pro product marketing software company 
much more earlier because I know that we have a potential for that. So not regret, but I wish I could have done it earlier. Okay. And what is your motto in life? What keeps you going? I think uh, life is a struggle. And I know that there are many entrepreneurs and there are many companies or organizations who face the same challenges. We are not the only one. There is a there is a way to success and there is a way to of course failure, but the, for 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 especially companies like us, generally the success the rate the let's say possibility for failure is higher because you know this is a nature of the startups or even scale up companies. But I know that if I am going to be weak, we should definitely fail. So this is why my motto is never be never be weak because. There is also there is already very very less opportunity or less a less percentage to be very successful. And if you would like to do that, you need to you shouldn't be weak. So I always keep myself strong by thinking this in a very straightforward way. Nice, great advice. And what is the kindest thing someone has done for you in your life? Well, many things. It's not because of that I am a I am a perfect person that everyone is doing a lot of things for me. But you know. Life is teaching you more when you are an entrepreneur and when you are uh, when you are also have people around you that you are sharing the same stories. If you are working for a multinational company, yes, you might have your colleagues and friends, but in that case, you are not sharing the life. You are just sharing your job and your daily work. But with those people, I share the life with my investors, with the people in the team. So. I have many memories, but I would I would count a couple of them, which are really, really can be counted as kind because happiness is in the moments. So this is why people shouldn't looking for or, or only seeking for happiness in life. For example, if I, when I'm interviewing a candidate, I ask this question, what do you expect from life? And if he or she answers in that way, I'm expecting happiness. I never, I never hire them. Why? Because happiness is temporary. It's in, in the moments. When you just see a beautiful flower, when you see someone you like, etc., you should looking for values in life to find peace. Peace is important, and in order to find this peace, I think loyalty is one of the strongest, you know, feelings or let's say senses that you need to feel, and then you are going to feel yourself safer. This is what I feel with my team and with the people around me. They have done many things for me. Very sometimes very small, sometimes very big. They are much more. They are really meaningful. But I would give two examples, and you will understand that. I I remember one of the very old books talking about the importance of working for the holidays, working in the holidays, because the motto was we work in holidays, also for holidays. It's meaning that in order to provide people more peaceful or happy holidays. We should be the ones who should continue to work. And this was the motto of the book. And this was a book published in the 1960s. One day, one of my investors found this book from the internet. There was very less copies. And then he sent me this book. And it was one of the kindest things that I have in my life. One and a half years ago, unfortunately, I lost my father because of lung cancer. And although my sister was a doctor, we couldn't, uh, is a doctor, we couldn't uh, detect this. And I remember my team in the day was there although my hometown is two hours in the distance to to Istanbul with 90 people they were there and then I, I I actually understand that it's one of the kindest thing that I have seen 
in my life. So many examples, many examples. So again, it's not about happiness. It's not about being kind. It's about some values in life that you share. And one of them is loyalty, which actually makes you feel safer. And you need to find peace in this kindness because happiness is temporary. This is what I think. That's uh, amazing uh, to hear. And you're clearly very, yeah, you're clearly very blessed, Andy. You know, you've had some amazing experiences, blessings and, and, and lots of kind moments. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story so openly, so poignantly. And I think there was definitely so much uh, inspiration and knowledge out there. Hopefully, hopefully. I don't, most of the people, when we are talking on when, we are, when they are starting to talk about insider dating, that is a successful company, etc. But success definitions, definitions is pretty much subjective. And are, am I successful? I don't find myself successful. Is insider successful? I don't find, find it successful yet. Success comes when you feel like, okay, I'm successful. Generally, they say that entrepreneurs doesn't feel that, by the way. So it's a little bit risky. And threatening, but at the end of the day, if we will be able to create a story which is going to inspire many other women, many other men, many other people to start their own businesses, high impact entrepreneurs, and become high impact entrepreneurs, then we are going to be successful. I think this podcast is going to be a value for that. Thank you. You have been listening to the Antler VC cast with UC Salavera and me, Pooja Parwani. To know more about Antler, our portfolio companies and our philosophy, visit us at www.antler.co or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook at Antler Global. Thank you for listening.